heights to the depths of the sea. And so Elisha said to her, verse 2, What shall I do for you, being this the case? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And again, God has a special place in his heart for widows. creatures unique in a song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name, you are amazing God, all Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. The creditor was coming to take this lady's two sons to be his slaves because the woman, the widowed wife of one of the sons of the prophets, had debts and no means to pay them. Elisha asked the woman if she had anything in her house, and she only had a jar of oil. He then told her to borrow other vessels. Elisha made this woman commit herself in faith to God's provisions. She did so and was rewarded for her faith. She borrowed enough so the excess oil was sold and provided money to pay the debt to the creditor. God takes care to deliver his servants in ways that exercise their faith. Now let's join Pastor Rob. Let's open our Bibles tonight to 2 Kings. We're going to look at the fourth chapter tonight. At the end of 1 Kings, we saw the the ministry of Elijah. And now as we get into 2 Kings, and, and really... Beginning here in verse 4 through the end of uh, verse 8, and and really the first couple of verses of chapter 9, we're going to see the ministry of Elisha the prophet, the the predecessor of, uh, or the successor of Elijah. And and then uh, read around chapter 13, we're going to hear, we're not going to hear anything more of Elisha uh, from the ninth chapter, really, until the 13th chapter, where we learn of this dialogue that he has with the king of Israel, and then he dies. Uh, he, he gets sick. The Bible doesn't tell us what was wrong with him, but he, he dies and he passes from the scene. And so uh, let's take a look at the, the first uh, seven verses of this, and then we're going to, um, because the way this chapter is, is worked out is, you know, verses 1 through 7 really speaks of one specific event, one of the miracles of Elisha and him ministering to uh, the people in Israel. And then verses 8 down through uh, 37, uh, we see another section where he is uh, performing miracles. And then uh, verses 38 through uh, 41... We see another miracle, and then um, verses 42 through 44, another miracle. So in total, about five miracles uh, take place in this chapter. And, and some have said, if you remember, when Elijah went, uh, ascended into heaven 
in that whirlwind that Elijah told Elisha that if he saw that event and was present when that happened, that God would grant him the petition that he had. And his petition was that he would have a, a double portion of Elijah's anointing as a prophet. And uh, some have taken in hand to, to look at the miracles of Elijah and Elisha, and certainly it's recorded for us that Elisha did more miracles than Elijah. And, um, and, and it really doesn't matter uh, in, the, in the sense, it's really just, um, um, it's just something to consider, uh, because God answered Elisha's prayer. And his heart was in such a place where it was soft and tender uh, toward God. And, and God really loves tender hearts. And uh, it's important today that we seek to have a tender heart. Because if you're like me, I look around at all the difficulties in the world and I see the things that drive me crazy. Um, I can tend to get a hard heart. And the Bible tells us that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. The agape of many will grow cold. And I don't believe that that is for the world. I, I, I don't think the world, apart from the Spirit of God, you don't have agape love. It's only when we are the born-again believers, the real Christians, the ones who have the Spirit of God indwelling us, I don't believe that anybody else can have that agape love. Because God gives that love. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a benevolent love. It's a love that's totally other-centered and totally for doing everything for the benefit of someone else, not themselves. But in the world, we don't see that. It's all about me, and it's all about you know me, myself, and I, and the pride of man. And so it behooves us to take uh, examine our hearts, as it says in the Proverbs, you know, um, uh, keep your heart, or literally guard it with all diligence, for from it come forth the issues of life. And it's true, and it's something that we've got to guard over more than ever. And uh, tonight I stand before you, as guilty as anybody, uh, of, of not guarding it enough. And I would ask you to pray for me, and I'd ask you to pray for all the leaders in the church, not just the leaders and the, the pastors and the elders here in this fellowship, but just all the pastors in this state, in this country, that they would, be, they would have the softest hearts, that they would be hearing from God, that we would all be hearing from God, that we'd be prophesying, that we would be rightly dividing the word of truth and being examples. And folks, I don't know if you know this, but, uh, and not to elevate any person, okay, but uh, as Christians and, and, and leaders, Christian leaders, whether they are elders or pastors or a senior pastor, there is a target on you as believers. There's a target. If, you, if you're not familiar with spiritual warfare, um, then, then you will be, <laughs> especially if you walk with the Lord. But it is a very real thing. And, the, and, the, and the, the more visible you are, the more authority God gives you, the greater the, um, the target you have on your back. And so pray for Christian leaders in this country that we would do the right thing, that we honor God in all that we do, that we'd be worshipers, that we would, be, um, they would have the softest hearts. The Bible calls us to, all of us, to be as gentle as doves, uh, but wise as serpents. That doesn't mean that as a Christian you have to roll over and, and act like nothing is happening. No, you use all of your faculties. Come to God with all of your knowledge. It's okay. He's not intimidated by your degrees. 
He's not intimidated by your, your understanding of knowledge. If you've amassed a lot of knowledge and think you're really something, and if you think you're really smart, well, he's smarter than you are. <laughs> and he knows you. He knows what you're thinking before you even think it. And so, please be in prayer about that. But Elisha, his heart was a soft and tender heart. And, and so let's just read the first seven verses. Notice what it says. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take away or take my two sons to be his slaves. And so Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he said, Go borrow vessels. Notice, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. And so she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. She had two sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to um, her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. And so the oil ceased. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debt, and you and your son shall live on the rest. Pretty interesting uh, thing what God does here. And God is always very, um, he loves orphans and widows. Throughout the scripture, you'll see that God has a special place in his heart for orphans and widows. Orphans because they have no head over them. They have no father. And, and certainly widows because they've lost their head. They've lost their, their husband. They've lost their, um, the authority over, or in, in their house. And people in those conditions are the most vulnerable to be taken advantage of. And God makes sure that these people, orphans and widows specifically, are especially taken care of. And it's something that we need to, in the church, always be aware of. We have orphans and we have widows, and we need to take care of them. If their family can't take care of them, we want to do the best we can as a body to help them. And so these are things to consider. But notice, back in verse 1, um, I'd like you to underline three words in verse 1. You'll notice that in verse 1 it says, a servant, my servant, uh, your servant, my husband. Underline servant. Underline, underline the next word that says servant. And then finally, underline the word slaves at the end of the verse. Because all those in the Hebrew are the same word. They're all the same word, and we'll get to that. And so Elijah, he had started this school of prophets in, in Gilgal, we believe in Bethel, and also in uh, Jericho. And, and so this certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets, she cried out saying, your, your servant, my husband is dead, and you know your servant feared the Lord, and the creditors are coming to take my two sons to be slaves. And again, these two words, servant and slaves, are the same Hebrew word, as I said, and they, they mean a bondman or a bondman or a servant, but also a slave. And the, and the woman obviously did not want her two sons to 
have to be slaves to pay off her husband's debt. How many of you would like that? You know, if, you're, if you're, your husband all of a sudden dies, and in our country, uh, a lot of credit card companies, if your husband has a credit card debt, when he dies, the debt is forgiven, I believe, unless they've changed those things. But um, back at this time, a debt was a debt, and they had to pay it. But, and we don't know the particulars about this woman's situation, but it's possible that the creditor may have been seeking to make her two sons slaves instead of hired servants per the law of Moses. And you may be asking yourself, what are you talking about? Well, as we read in Leviticus, we'll see that there's a difference between a slave and a hired servant. Turn with me, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 25. This will be really quick. Leviticus chapter 25. And this just helps understand a little bit of the predicament that she's in. And again, not to spend a great deal of time here, but it's worth looking at because you may be wondering, well, is there a difference between a slave and a hired servant? I believe there is. Because in verse 1, as I said, both words that say servant and slave mean the same thing. But we're going to notice in Leviticus chapter 25, Verse 39, notice what it says. It says, And if one of your brethren, and this is speaking to the Jews, if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. Notice the derogatory connotation of slave. You shall not compel him to serve as a slave, but here is how he's supposed to be treated, as a hired servant. And it's a totally different Hebrew word from slave that we read in verse 39 and also in the first verse of our text this evening. So a hired servant, but you're supposed to, you're not to compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. And then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family He shall return to the possession of his fathers, for they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves, notice, and you shall not rule over them with rigor, meaning with harshness or severity, but you shall fear the Lord your God. And it's a completely different word. But notice that in the situation here in in chapter 4, back in our text now, go back to uh, 2 Kings 4. That the woman makes it clear by the choice of the word she's using, she's using the, 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 more, the more derogatory term slave, which is somebody that could be purchased like a, like a possession. And, and not necessarily were they treated harshly, but they, they could be passed on from, uh, from family. You know, it, it would, if, if the family, the elder died, he, the, that father's um, slaves that he has purchased, meaning Gentiles or others, Canaanites or whatever, those individuals were passed down to the family. And most of the time, this worked out fine because these people were working, they were provided for, and it wasn't like the, the horror stories that we read about in Africa and in years past where uh, slaves were beaten and, and in these kinds of things. This was not necessarily that kind of thing at all. In fact, I don't know if you know this, and this may shock you, but all of you are slaves, including myself. You know why? Because you work for somebody. <laughs> You work for somebody, and the creditors in your bank are your, (laughs) they own you, don't they? And so you work to pay them back. And so in a sense, we're all slaves. But even more importantly, I'm a slave to Christ. Isn't that what Paul said? I'm a slave to him. And I love the fact that I can be a slave to Christ, and he treats me very well. And I'm glad to be a servant, a slave 
to Christ. But she uses this word, and there is a difference. And so Elisha said to her, verse 2, What shall I do for you, being this the case? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And again, God has a special place in his heart for widows. In James, uh, the Lord's half-brother, he said this in James chapter 1, verse 27. He said, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So people can say all they want, but if they don't care for other people, especially orphans and widows, your religion is pretty vain. It's pretty empty if you're not willing to help those who are in those predicaments. Now as we get to verse 3, I'd like for you to underline certain phrases in verse 3. Underline, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Underline that whole thing. If you're willing, you don't have to do anything, but I want to show you something here, and we'll get into it. And then down in verse 6, do the same thing. Look down in verse 6, and it'll uh, underline this phrase. Bring me another vessel. And then later in that verse, underline, there is not another vessel, so the oil ceased. Underline that phrase, those two phrases as well, and we'll get to that. So Elisha says to her, then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from your neighbors, empty vessels, don't gather just a few. In other words, gather as many as you can and bring them to your house. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. So it was going to be a private thing between the mom and her two sons with all of these vessels in the house and then this little thing of oil, all that she had. And I love that, that God says, now you go in your house with your two sons and shut the door. Nobody else needs to see this. This is something that God is going to do for you, and he's going to blow your mind, and he's going to help you. Why? Because not only does he care about a widow, but God is just a good God. And here's this, this, this woman who has great needs. And her sons might not be that old either, so maybe they aren't really in the place of being able to you know, I don't, I don't know that they were teenagers. It doesn't really tell us their age. But I think we'll see. Um, actually, uh, never mind that. <laughs> so, notice. So, oil in the Scripture we know is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, especially as it is often poured out on individuals for anointing. And we see this in the Old Testament. In Psalm 133, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. And so that's how Aaron was anointed with oil, and it speaks of the Holy Spirit. And I, I believe that picture was not only for anointing, but we're going to see that as we go along, even in Exodus uh, 29, Uh, Beginning in verse 5, when Aaron and his sons were consecrated, it says this, Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird them with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Again, 
another anointing of oil and the speaking of in a sense and i believe that was the whole point of the whole thing was just symbolic of the anointing of the holy spirit and certainly we see in the new testament in matthew chapter 3 when jesus was um, baptized by John. It says in Matthew 3.16 that when Jesus had been baptized, he came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Speaking of the dove and and the Holy Spirit, and then in Acts we see also this idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon like the oil of the Old Testament. We see that in on the, on the day of Pentecost, when, the, when it says that uh, there appeared uh, on the disciples in the upper room divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this oil, God brings the oil, and they're empty. They don't have anything. They got one little thing of oil, and they got a creditor that's on, our, on his way to put his son into, her two sons into slavery. And then after he takes away her sons, then she doesn't have anything, anybody to help her to gather food and do those things, which sons, as they would grow, they would mature and do those things. And so she's going to be in a really bad predicament. Hopefully she's got really good family. Hopefully they're still alive. So she went in, verse 5, and shut the door behind her and her sons and who brought vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And I had you underline that because... And he said to her, There is not another vessel. And so the oil ceased. And um, if more vessels were available, the oil probably wouldn't have ceased. I believe that there's a, there's a lesson here. There's something that the Lord wants to show us here is that as many vessels that could have been brought into that house could have been filled. And, and I often wonder, you know, um, you know, we don't know how many vessels the mom and the sons obtained. Did they only go to just a few neighbors? Did they go to only the families in town? Or, or did they really just go out and, and really search out as many as they can? And people are going to be scratching their heads wondering, what are you, what are you doing? And, um, but regardless of how many she brought, it was enough for them. They were able to pay their debt, as we've read already. And take care of their needs. And really, that's the main thing. But God was looking out for them, and he's, he's looking out for you as well. Do you know that? Are, are you the sole provider of everything that you do? The job that you do, wasn't it given to you by God? Isn't God sustaining you in your job? And when he decides that you are let go for some reason, is he aware of that before it happens? Does he have something else in plan? He does. He's a good God. You know, I think of the wine miracle at the, in, um, in Cana of Galilee. Remember Jesus' first miracle? They ran out of wine. So Jesus tells the servants to fill up these, these cleansing jars, these big jars. Fill them up with water. Fill them all up with water. And they did. And then Jesus started having them pour out. And there was wine. The water was made into wine, miraculously, when they didn't have anything. I mean, think about that. That's a, that's a pretty significant thing. In 2 Kings chapter 13, actually, why don't you turn there with me? You're not too far away from it. Just turn to 2 Kings 13. We're going to see another interesting thing here because as the woman's faith was, so was her 
result. In other words, if she would have only brought three jars in and she poured in those three jars and then she tried to pour into something else, the oil would cease. Do you follow what I'm saying? That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.